now tuned in to anything potable. The most honorable, the most audible. Hold the applause, like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the hospital. Like Antoine when he shimmied after shots went through. So tell me why you mad even? Your team gon' be sad leaving after matching up with Brad Stevens. Gang green, it's no other way. So tune in to the part if you plan on staying up to date. You heard? Hey <laughs> Jay, I see you, man. Welcome to Anything Is Possible, the Boston Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. Today's episode is brought to you by Direct TV Stream. Get your TV together with the best of live and on-demand products. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's right. We got a presenting sponsor, folks. I am Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan, and I am joined, as always, by the kid, the god, the legend himself, Celtics beat reporter from The Athletic, Jay King, ladies and gentlemen. And we are coming to you with a jam-packed show, just so much news out there in Celtics land. We have a Josh Richardson extension. We have... um, Workout videos of Jason Tatum. We have a taco fall departure. We have 76er drama. And best of all, we have questions from you, the listener gods. But, Jay, let's start with the the biggest piece of news that uh, actually, I think, dropped 20 minutes after we finished recording last week. The Celtics uh, decided to extend Josh Richardson for another season, um, basically giving him another $12 million for next year. That is correct. (laughs) I was confused by uh, why that was, um, because I thought there was some value in having an expiring contract. But uh, can you shed some light on to kind of what the thinking was uh, behind giving him that kind of deal? I think number one is that the Celtics are trying to build a long and athletic defense around Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Marcus Smart. And Josh Richardson is a guy who's six foot five and loves pressuring the ball. And I, I think they believe that Richardson fits into that vision, fits in as a piece next to those guys who can be very versatile, very flexible, and very aggressive. And, you know, Brad Stevens said this summer that the first thing he wanted to do was get more mature, bring in some veterans, and bring in toughness. And Richardson is both those things. He's a younger guy who a younger veteran rather who's played a lot of minutes and played on some good teams and has didn't have the best year last year, but they, they think I believe that he just fits into the vision of of building a really good defense around those guys. Is he a perfect fit long term? We'll see. But but they thought that Richardson getting him at that deal would be good value, whether that's on the Celtics or in a move at some point. So we'll see. We'll see what's going on. Um, but, yeah, I think the biggest thing is the the defensive versatility. Yeah, the, the thing that confused me about the deal is I thought there was some, definitely some value in having an expiring contract. But I think I was kind of a little backwards in my thinking in, in I was in let's clear max cap space mode for next offseason. But once you extend Marcus Smart and once you extend Robert Williams – there are just no avenue for them to get max cap space. And so kind of locking Richardson in, I think makes sense, I guess, from your um, from what you mentioned on the defensive end. I'm very skeptical of what he can do on the offensive end. Like he's just not shown to be anything other than 
a mediocre mid-range shooter. And so like is paying that a guy who I think is not a starter level player, uh, especially not a two-way player, uh, over $10 million worth it? Possibly, but I think it also it doesn't really ruin their flexibility because then you can still do um, a sign and trade with him. He still is in that kind of uh, range of salaries where say Bradley Beal does demand a, a sign and trade next year, or there are just options where you need to match salaries. Um, he's kind of had in that mid tier contract range where you can package him with Al Horford or whatever number of picks. Um, and it really doesn't do much for long-term flexibility issues because it is that only a one-year deal. So I was confused by it initially, but I like don't think it really hurts the Celtics. It's not like it completely derails any kind of long-term flexibility. And I do think it maintains its salary matching for trades in the future. I'm just kind of skeptical as Josh Richardson, the player, just because we've seen him not really work in Philadelphia and not really work in um, Dallas. Yeah, and but obviously, you know, things will be different in in Boston. In in Philadelphia, his lack of shooting was just kind of destructive because it was next to Ben Simmons, because it was next to Joel Embiid, because that team desperately needed more shooting. You more spent playing. the entire last podcast talking about how desperate this team was uh, for shooting, though. But that's in the supporting cast. And so, like, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, the two stars, are very good shooters. And so it's a little different fitting pieces around those guys versus fitting pieces around Simmons and Embiid who aren't shooters and need that space desperately. You know, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown can can thrive on the perimeter themselves. Uh, So I do think the fit is a little different and we'll see. I mean, obviously, he's coming off a pretty down year by the the playoffs. I think he played average like 13 minutes a game in the playoff series. So that wasn't great. On a team that desperately needed shooting around Luca, like, yeah, but I mean, on offense, he he's not like a a pure shooter. But I think from a standpoint of bringing toughness, and especially if if the vision is defensive versatility and kind of having size in the the backcourt, then Marcus Martin, Josh Richardson are two ball hounds who I think will will be able to set a defensive identity and. I think if you unleash those two guys on ball handlers, then the other team's probably going to have a pretty tough day, especially when you put Tatum, Brown, some of the other guys next to them. Uh, we'll see how it works. He obviously needs to resuscitate his value a little bit. Like Schroeder, he's coming off a year where he didn't fit too well and, and kind of saw his value diminish a little bit. But in in the worst-case scenario, one year from now, Richardson's on an expiring deal that's, that's not horrible value at all. And – even this past year when he wasn't great, even the year before in Philadelphia where he didn't fit well, like he's a pretty useful player. Um, and he, he played big roles on each of those teams. So I, I don't think this could possibly end up being a disaster deal for the Celtics at all. And if he turns into a piece that fits next to Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, if if he can refine some of the shooting that he had in, in Miami earlier in his career, then, then maybe that turns into a, a nice extension that that allows them to to line up a top six or top seven rotation guy for uh, you know a pretty reasonable price. Does he like where do you rank him in terms of um, the Celtics like perimeter defenders? Because he's primarily just looking at Basketball Reference lined up at shooting guard. I know those position estimates are not like the best, but 
is this a guy who's going to switch on to kind of bigger wings or is he your kind of second guy after Marcus Smart who you're putting on the other team's guards? I think he'll probably spend a lot of time on just about everyone. And I, I think that's the point for the Celtics. Like they want guys who can guard a whole bunch of positions. And if you're starting, let's say Marcus Smart does start at point guard, which I think is most likely at this point. Then if you put Richardson next to him, like that's a big athletic versatile backcourt that can really cause problems for other teams. Now, is the shooting ideal? No, <laughs> absolutely not. But I think, you know, they're going to lean on Tatum. They're going to lean on Jalen Brown. They're going to lean on Al Horford, too, for shooting and playmaking. And, you know, if, if those other guys can can really lift the defense up from its 13th place finish last year, then then that's that's kind of the goal for the Celtics is to get tougher and get more defensive-minded again after some of those after you know a couple of the last three teams kind of took the the foot off the gas on that front um and and Richardson he's a guy who must know at this point like like his his value has diminished a couple of years ago when the Sixers got him it was a big deal for them and he was considered you know a, a major acquisition and now the Celtics picked him up for basically nothing like they didn't have to trade <laughs> Anything Gave up zero assets. Yeah. Yeah. So, so he's got to know where his career is right now, and he's another guy like Schroeder who's kind of desperate to to play his way back up the the value rankings. If only they the could value combine rankings? the value rankings. What the fuck are value rankings? Well, I don't know, but they got to back them up. Also, if... why do you look like you should be playing a white supremacist in a movie? I actually just got my first feature film role. I'm playing um, White Supremacist 3 in the latest Spike Lee joint. For those who are going <laughs> to be listening to this podcast and not watching it live on YouTube, Packer just he shaved his head. He's got very close cut now. He's wearing a, a black wife beater. And, it's with Jalen uh, Brown's face on it. I don't think a white supremacist would be wearing a Jalen Brown tank top, but uh, oh, I, I I thought that was just a, a straight up black white. No, beard. that'd be insane. Um, but uh, I don't know. I just I went a little bit shorter than I normally go. Uh, it was a bold decision in the barber chair. I, I asked for uh, just like, normally I get a little bit short on the sides and then a little bit longer on top, and then I just didn't like the way longer on top was looking. Uh, I just said shave it all off, and so it's what I'm going with right now. Nate Schofer believes I always come sideways because of my own insecurities. But Nate, I'm I don't the know most if it's because motherfucker of... <laughs> who ever lived. I don't know if it's because of your own insecurities. I just think you uh, like to talk shit, and we can like try to like boil down where that comes from. But I think you're pretty secure. You just uh, kind of a dick. Yeah, I'm a guy. <laughs> I'm a guy, and guys talk shit. There you go, uh, J uh, King, known guy. Uh... <laughs> After a vigorous debate last week about Jabari Parker and Carson Edwards of who's going to get the final roster you spot. Love, you love that talk. I mean, we, we didn't settle it, but we, it's become a little bit clearer because we know one guy who's not going to get that uh, last roster spot or even a two-way spot, Taco Fall, ended up signing with the Cleveland Cavaliers who have one of the most outrageous center road, like big man rotations in the league right now. But I just wanted to commend taco fall because i do think he like evolved from what was originally kind of like a sideshow kind of like a joke uh and i do think he improved his play in the nba obviously not enough for the celtics to want him but he 
uh, it's just cool for him to get another chance just because he's just like a very nice individual and seemingly just an awesome dude. The taco experience was so much fun. Like, I'm a guy who doesn't always love fun. Yeah, especially I'm, at basketball games. I'm a guy who can fight back against fun. But the taco experience, there was something just pure about it. Like, at first, I was kind of, it kind of made me uncomfortable because crowds were chanting for this huge guy only because he's seven foot five. But he's such a good dude that he he enjoyed it. He was like almost bashful about it. Even Brad Stevens leaned into than, it a little yeah. bit. He handled it better than anyone, like I think, could have. Because I agree with you. At the first, it was like pretty uncomfortable. Like you're just making when fun it, of this when guy. When they were in Las Vegas, it was like this whole crowd is just making fun of this guy because he's way taller than anyone else. But then he just kind of went with it and rolled with it, and and I, I appreciate it. Taco was just joy, man. Just joy. A seven foot five package of joy. That's all he is, and uh, I hope he can make himself into an NBA player and kind of prove that he deserves a stick in the league because he's he's a good dude um, and somebody who everyone seems to love. Every single person seems to love Taco. It's going to be interesting to see if he gets any playing time on the Cavs because I just uh, – It's a training have... camp deal, so he's going to have to earn – Oh, it's only, it's only guaranteed through training camp? I believe so, yeah. That's interesting. Well, the Cavs made an interesting deal in trading away one of their centers for Laurie Markkinen in a deal that I guess you can sign Laurie Markkinen for uh, four years. However, like, what was that, like? 67. $67 million. Sure. Why not? And trade away the guy who uh, everyone on your roster is a huge fan of and is like a great community person, Larry Nance. But what Larry Nance doesn't shoot 40% from three on high volume. But you also just drafted your uh, power forward of the future and signed a center uh, for five year contract. Yeah. But realistically, the the Cavs aren't going to be good for four years. Like they're just not going to be great for four years. So you're just signing up for four years of shit when mine's well bring bring Lori Markin in along. Having a a seven footer who shoots 40% can make things a lot easier for everyone else and kind of help Sexton Garland on one end of the court. On one Come end of the on. court, Laurie Markkinen is quite helpful. On another end of the court, where the Cavs are already not great because they have Sexton and Garland, like the Cavs' defense is going to be terrible next year. Yeah, but they, they've got some pieces defensively that they shouldn't be terrible forever. Okoro is going to be a very good defender. Evan Mobley is going to be a very good defender. Jared Allen is a very good defender. Oh, all players you would play above the guy you just paid $67 million a year. Yeah, six, sixth man Lowry, sixth man Markkinen. 40% from three. Marks and ho- hopefully uh, Taco Fall can uh, uh, find his way onto that roster. Jay, I'm springing this on you right now, and just because I thought of it, because Uh-oh. we saw uh, Tristan Price in the comments say RIP Maine Celtics ticket sales. What's the deal with the Maine Celtics? There was no G League last year. They are the Maine Celtics, no longer the Maine Red Claws. RIP Maine Red Claws and uh, the lobster mascot. Do we even know who their coach is? Is it Alex Barlow? Does he get the job? Like, what is the – I know the completely kind of cleaned house with um, Ime coming aboard, but what's the deal with the Red Claws? I need, I'm just tapping into your uh, journalistic sources. Have you been on the main Celtics beat? Has it even been on your uh, mind? It has not been on my mind. I have no clue what's going on with the main Celtics. That, uh, you're going to need to send some text messages because I want a full report next week. 
Yeah, that, that's not my priority. Um, but I was in Portland, Maine this past weekend. For, oh, lo- lovely place for a wedding. It was it was a nice wedding. My buddy got married, and uh, so I was walking around the streets of Portland, Maine, thinking, you know, this place will miss Taco one day. One day, I think they uh, they miss Taco today. Yeah. Uh, we did get some questions from the listeners, and one of them was, "Who is?" They wanted to spend a good discussion on who gets their second two-way contract, Jay. And so I think another question I think you've probably done a lot of research on. Um, and so I'm open to discussing any names you've heard uh, for that second two-way, any rumors out there. Uh, because now that second that two-way contract is open. I think Tremont Waters, I saw something about him. Actually, no. I think that was just someone at, wanting him to go to Europe and be like Shane Larkin, but I don't think he actually is going to Europe yet. But I also don't think he's coming back to the Celtics. So you seem highly informed. Uh, no, that's your job. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know who the Celtics will pick up with their two-way. Brad Stevens has said they, they intend to be flexible, kind of leave it open. Um, I think their plan is to kind of wait to see if someone they really, really like becomes available in that slot. And... For now, Sam Hauser is their two-way guy, and he's another shooter, shooter, yeah, shooter. Apparently, this team needs shooting. Um, that's why the, you say, the, that's the why main you Celtics won't be as much fun without Taco. It just oh, won't. absolutely not. Also, like what the change to the main Celtics from the main Red Claws, they're eventually just going to move the team to Boston, and they're just going to become like the Boston and it's going to be like the Oklahoma City Blue, and it's just going to be one organization, and they're going to play games at like BU. Maybe. All right, let's get to the listener questions. Um, I'm going to start off with our main man, uh, Truth Faustino, Eddie, who's basically uh, a segment producer. Look look at all these questions he hit us with. He hit us with five, six different questions. He comes every week with questions. And so I'm going to, like, let's just follow Eddie's lead here. First one, what's the ideal starting lineup for the Celtics? I think Marcus Smart, Josh Richardson, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Robert Wood. Ooh, I thought you were going to go Horford there for a second. I almost did, but I I think Horford's playmaking will be very good off the bench. Um, I just think that with Smart and Richardson and Tatum and Brown, you have a chance to have an awesome, awesome defense. And I don't think that would be like a perfect offensive lineup. I think it could get a little bumpy at times offensively, but with Tatum Brown and Robert Williams, like you're going to score points. And I just think that if, if you start off with a group that gets after it, if you start off with a group that's going to be in your shit, just hounding you, taking the ball from you, going out in transition. I just think that lifts up the energy for the entire team. And and you still have Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown on the court who like can do some things on offense. Like it's not like you're completely terrible uh, on the offensive end. You're certainly not like the best spacing. And we talked about Richardson's struggles and, but also I don't know the exact numbers, but when Robert Williams is on the court, the offensive, the vertical spacing uh, is phenomenal. And it just does so much for the offense in terms of opening things up. So I agree. I think that's like the kind of the obvious choice. I guess the question I have is like, if you were to make a pivot to that's clearly like your defensive lineup, like that's your five best defensive players. 
what's the pivot to make it um, like the most offensive uh, facing lineup? Uh, like how do you shift things around uh, to kind of like say you just need all offense uh, on the court? Is Schroeder in that lineup? So I was trying to figure out is, is it Schroeder or is it like hoping that Neesmith can be a consistent uh, three-point shooter and like knock down the shots? Because I I definitely think we'll get some looks of like Schroeder uh, and Marcus Smart on the court at the same time together because we've seen just Marcus Smart's ability to play kind of off-ball guard. But right now, my how I envision Schroeder being is just like six-man completely. He comes in when like at the four-minute mark of the – first quarter when Tatum and smart, like take their first rest. And it's like, okay, you run the offense now. And so I think we're going to see that, but I don't really think, I don't anticipate seeing smart and Schroeder starting together. Yeah. That's, that's kind of my thought too. And Ime Odoka has been pretty adamant that he wants to put the ball in Marcus smarts hands. I don't think you're really doing that if you start Dennis Schroeder. Um, but as far as like, if if I was building the best offensive lineup, I don't know whether Schroeder would be in that. Now, obviously, he's part of that mix, and I think his ability to score will be important for this team. Um, I just don't know whether that's like starting lineup off the bench. He's a guy who's going to be pretty high usage, has always been pretty high usage, and he's going to probably take possessions away from Tatum and Brown when he's on the court with both of them. So I don't know if they like maximize each other. So I, I'm curious to see how Schroeder fits in. Like just his, his lack of outside shooting. Um, the fact that he does kind of need the ball in his hands more often. I want to see it. And I think it's a good signing, especially at that price, like adding Schroeder in his scoring punch is definitely a good signing. There's a fit for him somewhere in some role. I just don't know what that is. And I think Udoka has kind of a job in front of him to figure out what that is. He was maximized in Oklahoma City. Like that was the, the best year he's had when he was alongside Chris Paul and Shea Gilgis a lot. And they they really did a good job using him and getting him to be super efficient. Um, if the Celtics can do that, if he can buy into that type of role where he's a sixth man and, and doing that type of stuff and playing off other guys and – that's awesome. Like he'll be very, very good for the Celtics. Um, but I, I do think like that's, it's not a perfect fit. And so we'll, we'll see how that goes. I got a question from David JB uh, just asking if Schroeder is, could he be traded this year just because it's on that kind of one year show me deal. And he asked if he could be uh, traded for a larger salary player that might fit into the TPE. Can you not combine TPEs and players right in trades? Uh, well, here's the thing about trading Schroeder. He probably doesn't have much value because part of the reason he went to Boston, part of the reason he signed a one-year deal was because he thinks he's worth a lot more money than that and he wants to play himself into a bigger contract. So, If he's playing well, you probably want to keep him. And if he's not playing well, then he has no value. So and If you do trade for him, you're going to have to pay up to keep him or he's going to be looking for another place that will pay up to keep him. So I don't think he has much value. Obviously, his his deal at some point will be able to be aggregated with with other people's salaries. But I, I think the the plan for now is to have Schroeder on the team and a helpful piece somehow as a scorer and a little offensive creation and kind of give the Celtics a different element, especially an element they need 
after losing Kemba Walker, being able to get in the paint and and do some things with the basketball. So if he's not like, cause you mentioned his usage and like how he needs the basketball. Like obviously you want players who fit well around Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. If Schroeder's not the guy and it's, going to use a classic Bradism. It's not the guys who start, the guys who finish. But if you need offense in the final five minutes, I think you have Marcus Smart, uh, Jay, the both the Jays, and Robert Williams on the court. Who is the 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 kind of are the you, fifth guy? Are you definitely discounting Horford from that? I I, I was going to say is it could. I think there's three candidates, uh, and I was curious. Oh, I mean, if, it, definitely Robert Williams. Oh no, he's on. He's on. The, he's the like the core four are on there. I'm saying there's three candidates for who the, like who that fifth guy is to kind of maximize and it could be matchup dependent, but if it's not Schroeder, I think Horford has an opportunity. It's going to be interesting to see, like, obviously he was the most effective when he's playing the five and like, you can run stuff through him and do pick and pop stuff. And I still think he'll probably play some, like um, some backup center minutes, but I'm curious to see what it looks like with uh, him and Robert Williams on the court. And then kind of just shifting Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum down like, can Al Horford still play power for it? Obviously, it did not work in Philadelphia, but they also had, like, Ben Simmons, who just doesn't, like, work at all if you're going to have two giant big men. Like, you need some, like, sort of space, and I think it has a chance to work more. And um, Elias Harris sliding down, like, that was less effective, too. So there were there were a lot of things that were wrong with Al Horford at power forward in Philadelphia. I don't know whether he can still play power forward. I think the Celtics believe that in at least small doses, he can still play power forward. We'll see. Um, Given their yeah. like lack of depth at the position, it would be great for them if they can kind of pull those lineups off. Yeah, that, that would be very helpful um, for them. Like if they could start Al Horford and then you bring, if you had Schroeder, Richardson, Ennis Cantor, and... I have completely forgot that Ennis Cantor is back on this team. And yeah. uh, I know once the season starts, that's not going to be the case because Ennis Cantor will You'll make sure his, his face will be in front of the camera. But wow, Ennis back. Yeah, I've completely forgot about him. Is he going to play? Is he like your – like what's the situation at center? Does that mean they're planning for Al Horford to get a lot of the power forward minutes? And like we just don't know. I for completely forgot about Ennis, but he feels like the type of guy who's going to want like 15 minutes a game. I don't think he'll care. He never has cared when he – like there were times during his first stint in Boston when he was out of the rotation. He never really made a stink about it. Um, he got a pretty consistent – like there wasn't that like extended stretches. I feel like yeah. he got pretty cons- pretty consistent minutes for his entire time in Boston. There were just a, a few times. But, yeah, that, so if, if Horford starts at, at power forward, that opens up minutes for Cantor. If either Horford or Robert Williams misses time, that opens up minutes for Ennis Cantor. So I, I think he'll end up playing a role one way or another. Um, and then, yeah, we'll see. I mean, Horford's 35 and Robert Williams has always been injury prone. So having a guy who you know can get points and get rebounds and impact your offense while not always impacting your defense in a positive way, uh, it's it's helpful to have that guy on a minimum contract. Especially like during the regular season, Cantor's normally pretty good. Cantor on a minimum. We see some tough matchups for him, but like he's pretty helpful during the regular season. If you use him the right way, he's going to be helpful and help your team win games. Um, so yeah, he's another guy, and I think also like be, because of how bad the Celtics are at shooting, 
it will help to have two elite offensive rebounders in Ennis Cantor and Robert Williams. Like those guys are cream of the crop in, in that sense. So I think they might have a, a lot of chances to offensive rebound. We'll see. It's it's a weird roster, man. Like it, it really is just a a weird, weird roster. Because the other two players, I think you could uh, imagine coming in and like uh, sliding in around those four are Aaron Neesmith um, and Peyton Pritchard. Like I think Peyton Pritchard has shown uh, built like we talk about the need for shooting him in summer league, at least his like a willingness to shoot from deep. Jay King, one of Jay King's favorite skills uh, to for a point guard to have is to kind of have that extended no, range. I just thought Kemba should have extended it. Just go with the joke. Just go with the joke for two seconds, Jay. I will go. I will not let you spread. So you don't like you don't like extended shooting. Jay King hates extended shooting from point guard. Extended shooting is good. (laughs) So I think that's the other thing. If you're going for all offense, Peyton Pritchard and Aaron Neesmith are clearly your best shooters off the bench. Neesmith clearly fits in, I think, better defensively just in terms of what you uh mentioned of having switchable guys who can guard the wings uh and puts kind of less pressure on um the celtics like kind of stars to be uh guard the bigger guys on the other team i just think Peyton pritchard right now has proven to be more nba ready and gives you a little bit more passing and playmaking and i think he's just a, a solid option right now i don't know really know what his role is though uh, given that Schroeder is kind of the, I think just kind of the the sixth man, the guy, the guy who comes in and handles the offense or the second unit offense. I don't know where Peyton Pritchard fits in, but it, it kind of sucks for him. And I'm sure he'll like find a role because he really seems like he, um, one, he's always working his ass off and like waking up five in the morning, do dribbling drills. Um, I don't think he's probably still doing that, but he did that in high school. And that's just like what I imagine Peyton Pritchard to be doing at all times. Um, but I do think he like is NBA ready and can kind of give you something that no one really else on the team has, which is his combination of shooting and then ability to get to the rim playmaking. Um, it's just not something else they have on the bench. Yeah. So Udoka will have a lot of decisions to make. Um, because like you said, like where do Neesmith and Pritchard fit in? I feel like those two guys are going to have to really earn their way onto the court this year. Whereas last year, like I'm not to say that Pritchard didn't earn it, but like the Celtics needed a guy. Very, bad we need someone to, to dribble the basketball. basketball. Yeah. Whereas this year, Brad Stevens said it during his most recent press conference. They have seven guys who have started a lot of games, who have closed a lot of games, who, and that doesn't include Pritchard, that doesn't include Neesmith, that doesn't include Cantor, guys who will be fighting for minutes. So they're they're deeper for sure than they were at least at the start of last season. Um, and so we'll see, we'll see what Udoka decides. One thing I'm interested in is Robert Williams versus Al Horford. I don't think Robert Williams is necessarily going to win that competition every time. Now, would it be best for the Celtics if he does? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Because that means he's progressing. That means the young guy, potential franchise cornerstone is, is earning that spot. But Al Horford's very good. And Al Horford... Horford, (laughs) I have a a t-shirt that expresses that exact Al Horford can shoot. He makes all the right decisions. He's a mature, mature basketball player. He has a lot of experience being like the defensive captain and like the last line of defense and calling out everything. Like, I don't know 
if Robert Williams is necessarily there uh, right yeah, now. Yeah, so like- I don't think it's automatic that like Robert Williams will start over Horford or Robert Williams will close games over Horford. Like there were a lot of times last year when Robert Williams did not close games or he did not start games. And obviously that was partly due to his body, partly due to the Celtics limiting his minutes, partly due to Brad Stevens probably just not giving him enough playing time. Partly due but- to Tristan Thompson pouting in the corner if he didn't finish the game. <laughs> But at, at the same point, like, I I do think that that competition is something to watch. And, I mean, if, if you're a Celtics fan, you probably want Robert Williams to win that and win that decisively because he's going to be a long-term part of this, whereas Al Horford is 35, and who knows if he'll be in Boston longer than one year So well, this time around. So that's one thing I, I'm really interested in watching. And they could also just start together. And maybe that'll be good because Horford, like we didn't really get to see him at power forward much last year. We certainly didn't get to see him at power forward with like any sort of competent team around him. So, I mean, the last time we did, it was him and Aaron Baines and those uh, worked out pretty well for them. Yeah. So we'll see whether he can still handle that. If he can, I think that's a big deal for the Celtics and it gives them a very deep rotation of guys who can play, like significant minutes um like if you're bringing josh richardson dennis schroeder and his canter aaron neesmith and peyton pritchard up like that's a good bench it's a pretty good bench and then you Um, also have like you just mentioned five guys or apparently are not in the starting lineup i guess i think nine guys if you included richardson in that where do grant williams who has shown some signs of being a solid basketball player uh and then has kind of struggled in his sophomore year and where does Romeo Lankford fit into? Like, what do those guys need to do to kind of earn minutes on the roster? I think it just makes the the NBA season is very long, and sometimes people don't really start paying attention till after the like Super Bowl or after the All Star break. But all of these questions about like where like these it's up on these guys to kind of earn their roles. It feels like there's only three guys where we know it's like Tatum, Brown, and Smart. You guys are starters, and you guys are going to carry this team. But that everything after that, it feels like it's on the players to kind of like define their own roles by playing on the court. And so like what do I think Grant and Romeo are right now at like positions 10 and 11 uh, or 11 and 12. I don't know the counting, but like what do they need to do to kind of get onto the court and actually like earn some uh, earn a place in the rotation? I think Grant just needs to be solid, like defend, defend your position, defend other positions, stop fouling all the time. Stop offensive fouling all the time. Stop turning the ball over and hit a shot at a reasonable rate. That like that that's really his his path to playing time. And I think the Celtics like they could use a guy at that position with size and bulk and, and some muscle. physical toughness, yeah. Yeah, so I don't think it's out of the question for him to earn minutes, but like you said he's going to have to earn them because there are the Celtics could just play smaller. They don't have to use somebody like that at power forward. Um, and then Romeo, it's like, are you playing four on five with him on the court offensively? He just needs to, whether it's by becoming a shooter, whether it's by becoming a slasher, he needs to be productive in some way offensively um, so that he can, so that his defensive aptitude can can win out over his like total lack of offense 
I think it's like an interesting question about like how much of a chance do they give Romeo to kind of still make mistakes out there or is like, and I get, it leads to this next question from uh, love this handle P dub the legend. Uh, what are the ex- internal expectations for this year and looking and sounding like, and I think that kind of like blends into my thought is like, is this team looking to win a bunch of games and like really try to like improve their uh, standings in the East? Or are they like a little bit more willing to kind of give guys like Romeo or Neesmith or kind of younger guys a little bit more of a leash to, uh, I guess, develop as players? Like what's, what are the expectations of this team? Are they really pushing uh, for the top like spot in the East or um, like how good do they think they are? I mean, I think it's pretty obvious that they're not going to just hand their young guys minutes because they went out and got Richardson. They went out and got Schroeder. They went out and got Ennis Cantor. The guys to – and Al Horford. They went out and got guys who will play over their young guys if their young guys are not good. And I think one of the things that frustrated Brad Stevens about last season was he had to play those young guys no matter what. He had to – throw Jeff Teague in the starting lineup sometimes or Carson Edwards in the starting He didn't have to do that. He chose he didn't to have do, to do that. that. <laughs> but, but my point is, like, he was forced to play guys who were borderline NBA players. And he didn't want to put Ime Odoka in that situation, I think. Um, so they are a little deeper now. And they, like, even you look at Pritchard and, and Neesmith, like, even those guys, are, they're not, like, proven, proven yet. But Pritchard had a pretty promising rookie season. Aaron Neesmith, by the end of his rookie season, was contributing regularly. Uh, so, like, even the guys who are further down the rotation or we think could be further down the rotation are – they have proven themselves more capable than, like, a Romeo Langford who hadn't really done anything. Or, like, entering last season, the the guys in those spots weren't as accomplished as, as Pritchard and, and Neesmith are. So – I just think they, they've gotten a little more experienced and they needed to after what happened last season. Um, the thing is, like, we also are doing, like, these projections in our head of, like, what the rotation is and things are going to be like. NBA seasons are filled with injuries. And so, like, we talk about the top nine guys and, like, Grant and Romeo maybe not getting a chance. They're going to get a chance because Al Horford is old and might get hurt or there might be just random injuries uh, other places. And it's – classic cliche uh but i do think it's true uh, especially for role players in this league is like being able to be ready and being able to come in when you don't know if your number is going to be called and actually produce like that's i think it's something very difficult for players to kind of uh adjust to but i think that's what like makes the best role players is and so i think that's what grant and romeo need to do there, if like everything's going well for the Celtics and they're fully healthy, yeah, Grant and Romeo probably are not going to get a lot of minutes, but they need to be the type of players who are ready and able to contribute and don't necessarily need their like 12 minutes a game to be solid NBA players. And I feel like it's probably more difficult uh, for Romeo just because he's like been a star his entire career. And I feel like Grant's more of like a has more experience, at least in the NBA, being that role player. Uh, but like that is very much part of what they need to do is just like they, if their number is called, they need to come in and be able to perform immediately. And I think that's kind of part of the maturation process of an NBA player. Yeah. And the ups, the ups and downs for a young guy can be really tough. Like if it's hard to kind of trust in yourself enough to know, okay, if I get eight minutes today, 
I, I need to trust myself to play well in those eight minutes. If I don't play well in those eight minutes, I need to be confident enough to come back the next game and play well. If I do you, play you well, you can't in those get too minutes, high. You can't get too low. Some would say. Another Brad Stevensism. <laughs> I am so Brad Pill. Will we be saying Brad Stevensism? As long as I am the host of this podcast, that man gave me one 30-minute interview one-on-one, and I'm uh, subscribed to his personal lifestyle coachings for the rest of my life. Kaizen. Kaizen. It's on. It's still on uh, the beam in the practice facility. I can still see it when I uh, drive by. All right, final question from Seltzer Ojale at Ojale Seltzer. Is Jason beefing up specifically for contact at the rim, or is this part of a long-term strength program? And this is in reference to some uh, some workout picks we saw with a very muscular Jason Tatum um, doing li- lifts with a 100-pound uh, barbell. Jay, what is your impression of um, dummy thick Jason Tatum? I've got a rant. Ooh, let's hear it. I've got a rant. The overreaction to these photos is so stupid. I am 30 pounds overweight right now. <laughs> If you took a photo of me while I was lifting weights, I would look shredded because that's what pe- happens when people lift weights. They look swole. That's just how it goes. So, yes, Jason Tatum looked very big. Yes, he's probably put on some weight, certainly from the time he got into the NBA until now. Yes, if he does put on a lot of muscle and get stronger at the rim and lean into bully ball, as Ime Odoka called it, it will be helpful. Do I think he's going to be – like Giannis big next year? No, no. Is he going to be Shemi Ojale big next year? No, because these are photos of him in the middle of working out. So, of course, he looks shredded like anyone would, even my fat ass. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. He, But he does look bigger. I mean, uh, he is getting a pump. Uh the question is, is will he embrace contact or will he still complain about every single foul call uh, at the rim? And will his uh, – because I do think that's like one thing that he probably needs to improve upon, even though he did make, a, a, I think, a huge leap in terms of his floater around the rim, but just like finishing around the rim and finishing through contact. So maybe it's the uh, 25 pounds of muscle, best shape of his life that he added this offseason – I'm just uh, imagining. Do you think he says that uh, on media day, like he, that he's in the best shape of his life? Everyone says that on media day. No, I, I mean, usually it's like one or two players on the team, but it is a go-to media day cliche. Uh, but I do think it's like part of the game. If there's things that Jason Tatum needs to improve upon, like I do think finishing through contact uh, is oh. one of them and drawing fouls is one of them. And, and part of drawing fouls is embracing contact and not being shying away. I think he kind of tries to avoid it a lot. Um, I'm not going to say a lot of the times, but some of the times he looks to be do some fancier shit when he should just go right through guys. And so, yes, we can make like people are way too hyped about just like Jason Tatum working out pictures. But I do think that is like a, a, the next evolution of his game is for him to be the superstar for him. Like I think we talked two weeks ago about like what can Jason Tatum do to kind of get in that MVP conversation, draw uh, get to the line to like eight to 10 times a game. Like, and, and part of that is just getting stronger and like having a willingness to get like uh, go up and get that contact. Yeah. I, I think it's obvious that getting to the line is kind of the next frontier for him. And he's made strides over the years. I, I think he did it as well as ever during that Nets playoff series. And it felt like even within that playoff series, he kind of evolved to a place where, okay, I'm going to play through your contact. 
I'm going to create the contact and I'm going to get exactly where I want. And there's not a damn thing you can do to stop me. And I think he's kind of grown from the point where like he was a pretty skinny rookie. He, but now he's strong. Like even this past season before these swole photos came out, (laughs) he was, he was strong enough to play through guys. He was strong enough to, to do that to a a lot of the guys guarding him. And I I think it's just kind of him understanding his spots, him understanding the mentality of, okay, I'm one of the stronger guys now and I don't have to go around guys. I can just go into their chest. I can create contact. I can get to the free throw line. It's going to be a lot easier than it used to be. And I I think he just needs to to realize that and and kind of lean into that. Um, like like I said, that, that net series I thought more than ever he was playing with the physicality um, to to just kind of go at guys and and go through guys and and if he does that all the time when he does do that, like there are very few guys who can stop an, an aggressive physical Jason Tatum and. I just think, you know, I, I I will make fun of the overreaction to the photos, but the stronger he gets, the easier it's going to be for him to to manufacture those points, uh, whether at the free throw line and ones, getting to the hoop more and more easily. So it is big for him to get stronger. I was very happy to hear that you are 30 pounds overweight right now as someone who has challenged you to one-on-one basketball. And I believe we're playing in 11 days. Uh, I just want to know: Are you ready mentally? Uh, what kind? When's the last time? I think I saw on your uh, Instagram you made a shot, um, so that was a little intimidating. But uh, just how are you feeling about the battle? Um, and have you thought of what you want the stakes to be uh, for this epic battle that's taking place uh, December? No, December, September twelfth. Because I have I have what I want um, from you if I win. Well, what what do you want? Let, let's start there. Well, everyone knows that I'm making this embarrassing push to try and uh, put myself to 10,000 followers on Twitter. I you want still that. haven't gotten to 10,000 followers? You've been trying to get to that for like three months. I've hit a real threshold. I'm at, let's see, let's check, 9,388. I need that 600 followers. I will say, and I will give you a lot of credit for this, the majority of my followers come from when you say something uh, like, um, go follow Sam Packard. Like the J King bump has been responsible for, I would say at least 2000 of my followers. And so if I beat you in one-on-one, I want two tweets to be deployed at my choosing for a fast follow, go follow Sam Packard. Yeah. Yeah. You, right, and you. I, I, this is what I offer up to you. If you beat me, and I think you, what I think you're going to do is be like, I don't want any of that because there's there's nothing you could give me because I'm Jay King and I'm obviously going to beat you. But I will offer this up to you to make it more interesting. There are times in an NBA season where a reporter like yourself uh, maybe can't tweet things, tweet his opinion, where I, as a professional sports fan, have more leverage, uh, more ability to do so. Or there's times where you might not want to ask a question in a press conference because uh, you don't want to piss off a relationship. I'm offering you two opportunities, and you can use them at any time, or you will text me, and I will have to tweet it, or I will have to ask that question in a post-game press conference. And it's just you get that information out there, but it's never traced back to Jay King. Uh, 
no, because I'll if I want to ask a question, I'll just ask a question. That's not true. It is. That's not how the business works. How many times do we go like post game scrums and then people will be like, "You should ask that." Mostly, it's just Himmelsbach always daring me to ask dumb things, and so basically, I was just giving you the opportunity to make me look like an idiot. But um, no, you you do that on your own pretty well. So, I, I what what should. I'm just trying to think of like what I can do to offer you. Like I do have ability to uh, tweet out more nonsense or more opinions than uh, the objective journalist Jay King does. Honestly, like I don't want anything for winning because it's, <laughs> I knew this exactly what you're going to say. It's it's just easy. It's like you're like, 30 we're, pounds we're, overweight. We're, that doesn't I will matter. run past you. It matters in playing defense in basketball. I can move fine enough to play defense on your ass. 30 pounds moves hard to move to side to side. It doesn't matter. Can you jump? It's harder to jump when you're 30 pounds overweight. Can you rise above the rim? No, I cannot rise above the rim. With your negative wingspan? I do have a negative wingspan. but I got a positive wingspan. I got limbs for days. That's fine. You're not going to win. It matters so much more to me than it does to you. Although I feel like you're – Well, get ready to get me over uh, 10,000 followers because I'm going to be deploying that like – at the peak time when the most amount of eyeballs are on Twitter. And uh, it's going to be key, key to my uh, to my journey. Where do you think we should play? I feel like we should uh, tell the listeners out there, if people are in Boston, uh, they can come out uh, and support. Probably everyone should be supporting me because I'm the um, the underdog. Nate Schofer wants to play. I was actually in the North End recently. They got a nice little court there right, uh, right by the water. I thought that would be a nice little... Uh, when you go Street? on that after seeing my Instagram? I know I was. Was that the shot was on it that Langone Park or whatever it's called with the bocce? Yeah, but they just opened that up. It's very nice. Don't tell people that. No, I don't want anyone else there because nobody's ever there <laughs> except for us on September twelfth when we play one on one. If you want to come out, I also have some random stuff. If like any listeners actually do come out and watch us play one on one, that'd be awesome. It just uh, what time be fun. are we playing on September twelfth? You tell me, you're the you're the you're the we champion. We gotta pick a time. We got we gotta let people know what time we're playing. Two p.m. Two p.m. It is. Two p.m. September twelfth in at the Langone North End Park at Langone Park. Game to eleven ones and twos. Call your own fouls. Although if you call shit, uh, game fifteen. Game fifteen. Even more. Even better for me because you got no endurance. Uh, you're just gonna rely on your uh, busted ass jumper. And you're it's not busted at all. It's a beautiful thing. I'll be up in your face all day. All right. To wrap it up, we got to talk about Ben Simmons and the 76ers just because I love shitting on the 76ers. I absolutely love shitting on the 76ers. I have my shoot a three coward shirt right here. Um, I I promise to give I have two of these. I promise to give one of them away uh, if Ben Simmons was traded because it's mostly a Philadelphia 76ers hate T-shirt. But we got reports that he's willing to go to any team in the league. And then we got Joel Embiid coming out and like quote tweeting it and saying it's nonsense and the like the 76ers don't have to choose between them. Why did Embiid come at all basketball reporters or all reporters in general with that? Because he's sick of he's sick of sources close to the situation. Bro, he came out after directly after they lost, was it game six, game seven, whatever it was. He came out directly shitted on his own teammate. He did it in this own tweet storm. He talks about how, like, stop using my name to push drama. 
and then later goes, uh, for the clarity, I love criticism. I love when I'm told I can't do something. It makes me work harder to prove everyone wrong, but not everyone is built like that. He might not have meant it as a subtweet about Ben Simmons, but it like directly feels like he's talking about some like some people aren't ready for that kind of uh, criticism in the press. I will say, Embiid coming out like that, I enjoyed it. I I think finally he's had his teammates back in all this. Um, how long? How much longer will Ben Simmons be on the 76ers? Probably not much longer. It doesn't seem like much longer. But who knows? Maybe this is the way to mend the fence. I, I do think it's going to be very tough for the 76ers to trade Ben Simmons, who's close to defensive player of the year caliber, who is a great passer, is six foot ten, and can play multiple positions. It's tough to move that guy and get better. It it really is. Like there there aren't many ways, especially when you need a second star next to Embiid. There's no trade that's been proposed that like makes sense for the 76ers just in terms of value. Yeah, so if if he has to come back, I think maybe this Embiid tweet storm is like a a bridge to allowing that to happen without ruining everything. Embiid but it's just, not like he's defending Simmons. He just like kind of came out because he got dragged into it because the report was well, he that said they're he loves ripped. playing with Ben Simmons, and he said he hopes everyone comes back because they know they have enough to win it. So they were the number one team in the East last year. Like it's very hard. Like I know they struggled in the playoffs and obviously Ben Simmons and Danny missed. Green didn't play and they didn't have much depth at that spot. Okay. Line. Dave Dufour. Let's calm down with the Danny that Green. That was a Dave Dufour type comment. <laughs> it's just like, it's kind of wild that they were the first team seed in the East and like, you don't run it back. Like you just have like hope that your players get a little bit better. Like the, was the failing that bad? Wow, I'm actually just complimenting the 76ers right now, but like they were a pretty damn good team last year with like the best defense in the league or like top three or something like that. Like it's pretty wild. I think this is helpful for them for Embiid coming out. So they're not in a position where they feel like they have to trade Ben Simmons, but it's interesting. It doesn't seem like Ben Simmons really wants to play with 76ers because we've heard rumors like he'll approve a trade to Cleveland. Like that's not like, I don't know the validity of that, but. Uh, it seems like a tough situation for the 76ers, and that just makes uh, makes things more fun on, on my end as a uh, as a Celtics fan. Yeah, you you love when the 76ers are squirming a little bit. Well, it's just more fun that way, and uh, it's a city of cowards. And uh, there, yeah. it's actually a city that would beat the shit out of you. I lived in Philadelphia for two years, and I know that entirely. That uh, they would beat the shit out of me. That like that crowd is is harsh that is the harshest crowd in the league and i enjoy every second of it is it out of every like stadium you've been to they're the meanest yeah they boo pretty and they'll pretty quick to say fuck you to a a specific player and have the entire stand uh stadium chant that player's name they'll boo simmons when he like turns down a shot they booed markel fultz literally in his second preseason game they were they were booing him and i was sitting there like what is going on like this guy was just the number one pick and already they're booing the piss out of him. <laughs> Just a, a very unforgiving bunch. Uh, unforgiving bunch who should be happy because they live in the land of water ice and Wawa's and hoagies. And Jay King, I just want to ask you, are are Wawa hoagies potable? Not if Anything is potable! I'm going to whoop your ass.